Well, good morning. It is so awesome for us to be with you. Holly and I have been uh, so excited to have this time with our church family, our church home. Um, So we're so grateful. If you weren't here at the beginning of service, um, Jake introduced us. I feel like I I need to do that, which feels really weird for me. But uh, my name is Aaron Snells. My wife, Holly, you're going to hear from her in a few moments. We lead Hope Women's Center um, in our community. Going to talk about that. Um, But prior to Hope Women's Center, we were part of the founding uh, pastoral team of this church. Moved here 12 years ago with our family to start this church. And so this church just means the world to us. And so we're so proud of all that the Lord has done. Uh, in this faith family. Six years ago, um, Holly took the position as executive director of Hope Women's Center. And uh, two years ago, the Lord saw fit to transition me, to come alongside her, to lead the ministry with her. And it's something that I never in a million years saw coming. Um, But the Lord began to really awaken the sanctity of life in my heart. And he did that as I lived this ministry through her. And he began to really confront me with my silence as a leader, my apathy in this issue that I believe is so near the heart of our God. It was a really painful process that I walked through, and it's a story I would love to tell at some time. Um, literally, the Lord spoke directly to me through somebody. Somebody came and spoke over me a word that changed my life. And uh, so two years ago, I transitioned to Hope Women's Center. It's been an incredible journey. Um, and so again, we're so honored to have this time with you today. I feel a great weight um, to stand before you this morning and to talk about the sanctity of human life. As you know, um, emotions are all over the place in our country since the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Emotions are high. Emotions are high in our community. Um, And so I just, I want to remind us this morning right off the top that as believers, We don't run to our emotions. Our emotions don't rule us. We don't run to social media. Heavens, no. We don't run to others. We run to the word of God. This is our source of truth. This is where we go. This is our guidance for life. This is what we need. If you've been around the Parks Church very long, you've heard the phrase, whole life disciple. And that has been the the vision of this church from day one. And even though we didn't have that phrase day one, that's been the vision of this church, we never set out to grow a mega church, to just get as many people as possible and have a flashy product and lights and entertaining music and message and inspiration and all that. We never set out to do that. Our desire from day one is to gather a group of people who would be passionate about the word of God, that what Jesus says we would follow to get a group of people who would be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ because we know when a group of people do that, when a church is wholly submitted to the Lordship of Christ, that is a powerful church. That is a church that's gonna have true community impact, true transformation, and that's the kind of church I wanna be a part of. And that was the vision from this church from the very beginning. And so I wanna remind us that when we receive Christ, when we become a follower of Jesus, We don't just receive his love, his grace, his mercy. Thank God we receive those things. But we also receive his lordship. And when we receive his lordship, it changes our thinking. Our thinking goes from 
how do I think about this? How do I feel about this? What are my emotions about this? What is my social media telling me about this? What does my upbringing tell me about this? All of that goes behind when we receive the lordship of Christ. And then the, the, the main cry of our heart as a Christ follower is, what most captures the heart of God? And so as you know or you may not know, there's a lot of false information out there right now about abortion, about the sanctity of human life. I'm not here this morning to debate any of that. This morning, I want to bring us back to our source. I want to bring us back to the word of God. This is what we have as believers, what most captures the heart of God. What is God's view on life, the sanctity of human life? And so before I do that, I want to take just a quick moment. I want to tell you about Hope Women's Center. Hope Women's Center is your local pregnancy center. We serve uh, young girls and guys who every day come into our center who are in the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. They are overwhelmed. They're scared of their situation. They think oftentimes by being in a pregnancy center that that is potentially the worst day of their life. And yet we know by the sovereign, providential hand of God that God has brought them to us. And he's entrusting us with their pain, with their crisis. And he's allowing us the opportunity to speak life, to speak hope. And so when they come into our center, they walk into this beautiful clinic where they feel the peace of God. They don't feel judgment. They don't feel shame. They feel the love of God. I'm so honored that we get to do this. It is truly the honor of our life. So on what they think is potentially the worst day of their life, oftentimes it turns out to be the best day of their life. As they make a choice for life for their child, 77% of our patients choose life for their children. And oftentimes they choose eternal life for themselves. When they surrender to the Lordship of Christ. If you've been following the story of hope, I'm very emotional today. It's crazy. If you've been following the story of hope, the past 18 months have been crazy. Um, Flip back to uh, February of 2021, last year, uh, the great Texas storm, Snowvid, Snowmageddon, whatever you want to call it. uh, We, you know, our our great power grid failed us. Uh, We walked into the clinic at the end of the week just to pick something up, and our clinic was gone. It was destroyed. And uh, not just casual sprinkler damage, gone. Thousands of gallons of, of water per minute spewing in our building wasn't caught for over 48 hours. And so ceilings down, every piece of medical equipment, 15 years of patient files, everything gone. But I don't have time to tell you all that the Lord has done. What the enemy meant for evil, God flipped on its head and he used for good. And God immediately allowed us to get a mobile clinic so that we could stay operational. So for one full year, just a few blocks from here, downtown McKinney, we served patients in this community. Uh, But the Lord led us to purchase our own forever home. And so what we lost was 4,000 square feet that we were leasing. We were able to purchase 9,000 square feet that we now own. 
Um, the Lord has done an incredible thing. It's allowed us to greatly expand our medical services, greatly expand our hours. We have full adoption services on site, which is just the Lord going before us. We never knew a year ago that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. And I can tell you in a post-Roe world, adoption is going to be a very big part of what we do. And so to have adoption services on site, the Lord went before us. We have a full licensed professional Christian counseling center. As you can imagine, a lot of our patients walk in with sexual abuse and trauma. And so to have Christian licensed professional counselors to walk with them. We have a baby boutique that is stocked full with diapers and wipes and clothes and maternity clothes and car seats and high chairs and cribs, anything you can imagine to resource these couples to walk with them. We have new classes, parenting classes, prenatal classes, post-abortion for women, for men, all kinds of support. We have the abortion pill reversal, where we can reverse a chemical abortion. God is doing some incredible things. Uh, Pre-COVID, we were seeing about 900 individual patients per year. And in our new space, we have capacity to see over 4,000 patients per year. The Lord has done an incredible thing, and we are so grateful. And this church has a very long partnership with Hope Women's Center. Long before Holly and Aaron took over at Hope Women's Center, this church stood for life. This church has been generous. Many of you have, have volunteered, have uh, supported Hope financially. We're so grateful for the partnership. And so with all that being said, our heart is really full as we reflect on all that God has done. Um, but at the same time, our heart is very heavy. Our heart is heavy as we reflect on the state of our nation. Our heart is heavy as we uh, look at the church, the division, the confusion, the lack of biblical worldview. Our heart is heavy for the victims of abortion where the last 49 years, 65 million plus innocent lives have been taken at the hands of abortion. By victims, I mean the preborn child, the most vulnerable in our society, no voice, no rights, no ability to defend themselves. By victims, I also mean the moms and dads who make this tragic decision. Um, oftentimes, I get to sit with the boyfriends. Whenever the girl makes an appointment, we have a group of guys, Kevin and some other guys from the church, myself. We sit down with these guys, and we get to walk with them. We get to listen to them. Keep in mind, our average patient is 15 to 24 years old, very young. And so oftentimes, I'll hear these guys say something like, I'm just not ready to be a dad. And I'm looking at a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old, and I say, I get it. But the reality is, if you're here at our pregnancy center and your girlfriend is pregnant, the reality is you already are a dad. And now the question is, what kind of dad are you going to be? Are you going to fight for the life of your child? Or are you going to terminate that life? See, they're hearing from friends and family and from culture that abortion is easy that it's the right decision for them, that nobody will know. If you have an abortion, um, you know, if you have this child, you, you'll be broke, you can't go to college, you won't achieve your life dreams. And of course, we know where all this is coming from. We know this is coming from the enemy. And the enemy, just like in our own life, he, he primarily works through two ways, deception and accusation. Think about your own life. Think about your own sin struggle. It starts with deception, thinking, oh, this isn't, that bad. I deserve this. This will make me feel good. And the minute you act upon it, he switches to accusation. I can't believe you did that. You must not be a Christian. 
Now think about it in terms of a young girl who finds herself in the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. And people around her are speaking all this deception that a child's going to ruin your life. You're going to be broke. You're going to be poor. And the moment she acts upon that abortion, he switches to accuser. One of his names in scripture is he's the accuser of the brethren. And so he gets loud and he says, I can't believe you did that. I know who you are. And he won't let her forget. We hear that every day. It's who he is. Russell Moore has a quote and he says, there's no one more pro-choice than the devil when the girl's walking into the abortion clinic. And there's no one more pro-life when she's walking out. Deception and accusation. And so this morning, hear this. I'm not here to talk about pro-life activism. Yes, we are pro-life, but we are unashamedly pro-eternal life because that is where true transformation happens. Yes, we are anti-abortion, but more than that, we are pro-God. We are pro-gospel. We are pro-his choice as he's the one who chooses to give life. He's the one who opens the womb. And so this morning, we're not talking about pro-life activism. We're talking about being a follower of Jesus and seeing the vulnerable in our society. I love how our church has stepped into the foster care system in this community. I love how our church saw a need for, for health care for those who are underinsured and, and founded Hope Clinic. I love how we've stepped into these places. Abortion, though, is easy to not see. It's easy to look the other way because we don't see the unborn child. We don't hear their screams for help. But as believers, Scripture is abundantly clear. We are to defend the defenseless. We are to protect the powerless. We're to be a voice for the voiceless. And we are to rescue those who are being taken away to death. I want you to hear this morning loud and clear. If abortion is part of your story, God has not brought you to church today to shame you. That is not who our God is. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So if you hear that, recognize this morning it's not from God. There's grace, there's healing, there's forgiveness. Where sin flows, grace overflows. That's all of our stories. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. God is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as he is any other sin. One of the amazing things about God is he doesn't take our past and shame us with it. He doesn't take our past and rub our face in it. He takes our past and he redeems it for his glory. And so part of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, he died for all of our sins, all of our sins, but he also died for our shame. And so if you're in Christ this morning, be free. Receive his grace, his healing, his forgiveness. Walk in victory. In Jesus' name, do it. The Barna Group, which studies church, studies culture, the Barna Group says only 10% of churches in America will talk about the sanctity of human life. Pew Research Team takes it a step further and says only 4% of churches in America will say the word abortion. Holly and I have the opportunity to speak almost every Sunday somewhere. And I can tell you these numbers are very true. 
I can't tell you how many times we are asked to speak somewhere and we are told, be very careful what you say. Don't say abortion, just affirm. Talk about how you guys affirm life. Jesus was asked in the Gospels, what's the most important thing in in all of Scripture? And he said, love God with everything you've got, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. And when it comes to the preborn child, we have to answer the question, what is it? Because if the preborn child is a human being, then they are our neighbor, biblically speaking. And we have one category of neighbor that's allowed to be brutally, innocently killed in our country. We must speak up. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly amazed at the moral inconsistency in our culture. Earlier this year, there were some stories that caught national headlines. There was a girl in New Mexico who had gave birth to a child in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant, and she threw the child in the dumpster. And then there was a lady who had a, a child gave birth on a flight, put the child in the trash can. And our, thankfully, both children were found. They survived. But our country was just in an outrage. People were in an uproar. And I was glad to see that, but at the same time, in our culture, if those two women just earlier that day would have walked into an abortion clinic and had a brutal late-term abortion, that would have been celebrated, that would have been championed, that would have been called heroic or brave, all under the banner of reproductive justice, reproductive freedom, reproductive health care. We've substituted the sanctity of life for convenience of life. We live in a country that tries to moralize abortion, that tries to sanitize abortion, that tries to desensitize abortion, that tries to silence opposition to the brutal reality of abortion. When all throughout scripture, all throughout the storyline of scripture, children are seen as a blessing from God. Children are a gift from God. God values life. So this morning, if you will, turn to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna walk through a couple of very familiar passages, but a couple of very foundational passages that is, if we don't understand them, we will miss so much. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, the imago Dei, he created him, male and female, he created them. These verses are some of the most important verses in all of scripture, and if we miss this truth, we won't understand the great value of life. This truly is one of the most critical and consequential truths in all of the world, that mankind alone is made in the image of God. And so as we talk about the sanctity of human life, the value of life, the sacredness of life, we begin by anchoring to this incredible truth that mankind alone is set apart from all of creation by being made in the image of God Almighty. See, culture finds value through achievement. Either you're good at something or you're not. Either you have it or you don't. And so we begin to categorize ourselves and categorize others based on, on if they have it or they don't. So value goes up and down. So you're a good athlete or you're not. You, you look a certain way or you don't. You have a certain amount of money or you don't. You come from a certain family or you don't. You, you, 
you've got a certain amount of degrees or you don't. And so value goes up and down. But what the Imago Day teaches us is that value is not achieved, but it's endowed. Value is not earned. It cannot be earned. It's given right at the beginning of life as we are made in the image of God. But not just that. Jesus died for us. And that makes us very valuable. We're the children of God in Christ by faith. And so that makes us of great worth. The Imago Dei means that human life is precious to God. And when I understand that I'm made in the image of God, I will know how valuable I really am. Because we're created in the image of God, we are defined by this. This is where we find our value and our worth, something far more meaningful or valuable than anything else in the world. Do you know what else was made in the image of God? It's not a trick question. Nothing. Nothing. There's one thing that God set apart to bear his image in all of creation, and it's mankind. It's every single life we are set apart from creation, and therefore we have dignity and value. Every life is an image bearer and has God-given dignity and God-given value. That before anyone contributes to society, before anyone does anything impressive for us, there's value on their life simply because they were made in the image of God. Now, how many here love animals? Hands. Okay, who's our dog people here? Okay, do I dare want to ask if we want to identify who loves cats? Okay, so maybe keep your hands up. Elders can pray over you after service. We'll have... Um, so our family... We, I wouldn't say we're, you know, we're dog people, but uh, we, we wanted our kids to have the dog experience growing up. So when our kids were little, we got them a dog. We did the whole thing. It was great. But, you know, to us, he was a dog. Uh, he couldn't sit on the furniture. He had all kinds of rules. He slept in a cage, all of that. A few years ago, he died. And so it was like, okay, you know, it's sad, but we're done. And so we told our kids, hey, we're done with the dog thing. When you guys get older, you can have a dog, but we're good in our home. And then... God enlightened our eyes to Aussie doodles, and our life was over. And so we've got this tiny, it's a toy Aussie doodle. She's full grown, 10 pounds. We've had her for a couple years. Her name is Evie. We got her on New Year's Eve, and she's changed our life. This dog has no rules. She can sit anywhere she wants. She can sleep anywhere she wants. She goes on trips with us. We have a car seat in our car for her. Um, If I come in from a you know, the end of a day and she's sitting in my chair. I don't dare move. I'll sit on the floor. I won't move this dog. Um, So I say all that to say, if I had to choose between Evie, my dog, or my kids, I would choose my kids. I'm not positive my wife would say that, by the way. (laughs) She loves this dog, but she can answer for herself. Um, But if I had to choose between our dog and your kids, I would choose your kids. 10 out of 10 times. And why did I say that? I say that because human beings and animals are not equal. That's a newsflash for some people in here. They're not equal. They do not have the same value. That is what scripture teaches. There's something unique about human creation that cannot be said about any other creation. God looks down on mankind and he says, I will make you in my image. You will be stamped with the image of God upon your life. We are utterly unique in all of God's creation. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Psalm 139, this is David speaking, again, a very familiar passage, but a very foundational passage. Listen to the intimate language he has 
about God and with him in the womb, he says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and you should underline unformed substance. In the original language, the word is embryo. Your eyes saw my embryo, my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. So here's the question. When did David believe he was David? Did David believe he was David in the womb or was David only David after he was born and his mom was holding him? We see clearly life in the womb. We see clearly David knew that God knew him, that God had, had formed him together. And so we see in this beautiful passage that life begins in the womb. And of course, we have passage that teaches us that God actually knew us before we were in the womb. We see that with Jeremiah, with Job, with Isaiah, with David. But this is the biblical worldview, that there is life in the womb, not at delivery. We see that we are intricately formed and knit together, and we see that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, you were made on purpose for a purpose. You were made on purpose for a purpose. The Bible speaks of life in the womb all throughout Scripture. Forty-plus times we read of conception. We see it of people like Moses and Samuel and Jesus. And some of these stories have very vivid illustrations of life in the womb. You think about Samson. Samson was given the Nazarite vow in the womb. Think about John the Baptist. We're told that he leaps for joy. He's filled with the Spirit of God in the womb. And so we see life in the womb all throughout Scripture. It isn't just your mother and your father coming together to give you life. No, God gave you life. He orchestrated your life. God is actively involved. And Scripture is clear that it is God who is personally forming and creating and knitting and shaping the child. There is nothing in Scripture that suggests that the unborn is not a human being. And so do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God gave great attention and detail to forming you in your mother's womb. And he didn't make a mistake when he made you. He created you to be an image bearer and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You talk about being fearfully and wonderfully made. At just three weeks, there's a beating heart. Before women even know that they're pregnant, there's a beating heart at eight weeks all organs are present. The brain is functioning. The child hears sound. The baby recoils from pricking, meaning they feel pain. The baby sucks their thumb. It gets the hiccups. It's amazing. And so as we talk about the value of life, this passage also shows us that the length of life is not in man's control either, which means every life bearer is an image bearer from beginning to end. Sometimes we say from womb to tomb. And we see that God alone has authority to ordain the length of life when it should begin and when it should end. And so for any image bearer to determine or to make the choice for another image bearer that their life should end is to surpass God's authority and to commit murder. And see, God values life. God loves life. And I want us to take a moment and just to declare scriptural truths about life. And so I've got 10 scriptures I want us to just read through very quickly. 
I'm going to read the first part and the part that is underlined. I want you as a church family to declare this. Say this aloud together. Genesis 2-7. God created us with the... Proverbs 10-17. His word instructs us in the... Acts 3.15, he is the Romans 6.4. When we get saved, we walk in Hebrews 1.3, he is the 1 John 1.1, he is the Revelation 2.10, we will be given the Revelation 3.5. Our names are written in the Revelation 22.14, we will eat from the Revelation 22, 17, we will drink from the God loves life. God values life. He's the giver of life. And all throughout the Bible, from the, from the time he breathes life into the humanity till the very end when we will spend eternal life with him, God values life. And what is amazing is that scripture, science, and sense, common sense, they all affirm that life begins at conception. Culture's narrative is that that's a religious view. It's not. It's a scientific view, as well as it's just common sense. The embryology textbook, maybe you say, what in the world is embryology? Embryology is the study of an embryo. Maybe you say, what in the world is an embryo? An embryo is a person. It's a person at a very early stage of development. You have an embryo, a fetus, an infant, a toddler, a preteen, a teenager, an adult, So in other words, you didn't come from an embryo, you were an embryo. In the embryology textbook, it teaches that from the moment of conception, you were a distinct, living, whole human being. This is straight from the embryology textbook taken uh, from secular college campuses all over our country. So at the moment of conception, it says you were distinct, meaning you're unique. You have separate uh, human, separate DNA from your biological parents, a DNA that has never lived before that will never live again. At the moment of conception, you are living, it says, living. Dead things don't grow, right? Pregnant women do not will their babies to grow. The baby develops themselves within, independent of their mother's wishes. And at the moment of conception, you're whole, meaning you have everything you need to develop, You just need time. So at the moment of conception, you have a distinct, living, whole human being, separate DNA from its biological mom and dad, DNA that has never lived before that will never live again. In 2018, the University of Chicago did a study where they surveyed 5,502 biologists ranging all over the place from Democrat to Republican, pro-choice, pro-life. When asked 5,502 biologists, when they were asked, when does human life begin? 95% of biologists affirmed the biological view that human life begins at fertilization, at conception. This is not a religious view. This is a scientific view. Faye Waddleton, she's the former president of Planned Parenthood. She says, I think we have deluded ourselves into believing that people don't know that abortion is killing. Yes, it kills a fetus. And so science and faith, they are not at odds. Science supports the Bible, that it is life from conception made in the image of God. And so we see scripture, we see science, but we also see sense, common sense. The fact that over 40 states have fetal homicide laws shows us that we know that it's life in the womb that we're killing. So if if a pregnant mom is killed, the law views that as not one person but two. Even in the case, you think of a pregnant woman who has 
uh, an appointment at a Planned Parenthood or an abortion clinic to kill the life of that child, if she's struck and killed on the way there, even though her intention is to end that life, that driver is charged with two counts of life, two counts of homicide. The moral inconsistency in our country, it shows us that we know that it's human life in the womb. And so how do we respond to this truth? We love our unborn neighbors. And that's easy to say, but what in the world does that look like in a country where children are almost exclusively, exclusively defined as non-neighbors, non-persons, non-humans? If we believe in the sanctity of human life and we want to honor the image of God, then we must care about the evil of abortion. I was just reading through scripture last night and I came across Psalm 27 that says that those who love God hate evil. You see that all throughout scripture, that those, those who love God, there are things that we are called to love and there's things that we are called to hate. There's several things listed in scripture that God hates. And one of them is the shedding of innocent blood. We must activate and get in the fight for life. God loves life. God values life. God gives life. And we have an enemy who hates life. We have an enemy who's come to steal life, to kill life, to destroy life. Ephesians 5, written to Christians, says that we are, we are children of light. We're to expose darkness, push back darkness, and establish light. These are very dark times, and they're only getting darker, and I'm sure we all see that. I'm sure we all feel that. But the existence of darkness in this world shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't catch us off guard. It's what Scripture tells us these days are going to look like. It warns us of that. And so maybe the problem isn't necessarily the existence of darkness. Maybe the problem is lack of light. We're told to push back darkness, to establish light. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that we're to be salt and light. And he says, what good is it if it loses its flavor? The salt is to push back on the decay of our culture, to be light, push back darkness, establish light. Imagine in this room right now, if Keith were to turn the lights off, this room would be pitch black. No one would say, hey, will someone just turn off the darkness? But everyone would say, hey, somebody turn on the light. And that light immediately would overcome the darkness. And that's how we as Christians are to live in this dark world. We are to push back darkness and to establish light. And when it comes to the darkness of abortion... Unfortunately, the church has historically responded really in one of two ways. First of all, anger, not righteous anger that the Bible talks about, just anger. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. And we've had many who aren't speaking, they're shouting, and it's not in love. And it's done a lot of harm and caused a lot of great pain. But most of the church world, I would say, finds themselves in the category of apathy. That's certainly where I found myself. We live in a time of just moral fog. When you feel like something is bad and the laws of the land say it's bad, it's easy, that's bad. But what do you do when you feel like something is bad and the laws of the land say it's okay? Then there's this moral fog, this moral tension. And that's where we have found ourselves the past 49 years. And so we've just found ourselves silently accepting a culture of death. And meanwhile, over a million children every year, 3,000 per day, are killed at the hands of abortion. The womb 
should be the safest and most nurturing place to live, but instead it's the most dangerous place to live. As the unborn are the most persecuted people group in our country. Let me tell you, the enemy is just fine with the church responding in either one of these ways. Anger, because it just brings more shame and condemnation to victims of abortion, or apathy, because it just lulls us to sleep to the voice of culture. But that's not okay. Scripture calls us to action. It's not enough to just care. I'm sure most people in this room care, but caring can still lead to inaction. Psalm 82 says, defend the defenseless. Protect the powerless. Proverbs 31 says to be a voice for the voiceless. Open our mouth. Proverbs 24 says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. And so in response to the gospel, we want to respond rightly to the transformative nature of the gospel on our hearts. We're passionate about rescuing others because we have been rescued. That's the gospel. And so this morning, we want to just take a little bit of time before we rush out of here. I know this is a a heavy message, but it's an important message for our time. I want to take some time and search our hearts. Pray there would be repentance in this room. Maybe abortion is a part of your story, and maybe you haven't confessed and repented that, uh, repented of that. Maybe, maybe you were a, a man who paid for one, or you were a parent who pushed your child into one, or you counseled somebody. There's grace, there's healing, there's forgiveness, there's mercy. Walk in victory today. Confess that to a God who's eager to forgive that. Maybe none of those things apply to you, but maybe as you hear this and you search your heart, maybe you realize maybe you've just been very apathetic to an issue that is so near the heart of our God. Search your heart and repent for silence and apathy. Engage. Bonhoeffer says to not speak is to speak. To not act is to act. Engage. Pray. This is so much bigger than legislation. Pray. Pray for the victims of abortion in our community. Pray for those who find themselves in the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. Pray that they would feel the love of God. Pray they would find hope. Pray that they would come to Hope Women's Center. Pray for Hope Women's Center. Pray for us. This has been a really challenging time. Since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we had to hire 24-7 police coverage. As we've had attacks, we've had threats, online attacks. Pray for us. Our mission, we, we don't... We don't stagger in that. We're going to be committed to serving those who find themselves in the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy, loving them, showing them the hope, the love of Christ, resourcing them and walking with them. The last thing I would say is teach the next generation about the sanctity of human life. Don't let social media, culture, influencers, teach the next generation about the value, the sanctity, the sacredness of life. And everything that we do, church, we do it with conviction as believers. We know what we believe. We hold to that conviction, but we do it in compassion. Conviction and compassion. Our conviction is fully wrapped in compassion as we walk with those in our community.
there's a big difference between what abortion says and what the gospel says. Abortion often says that my life is more important than your life. The gospel says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Abortion says my rights and my choice are above yours. The gospel says serve one another. Love one another. Abortion says to the unborn child that you must lay down your life for mine. The gospel says that Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. How opposite. I'll never forget six years ago, one of the first patients I sat down with, she was a young teenage girl, scared, not knowing what to do. And it was new for me how to share my faith with with this young woman, how to bring her hope and encouragement. So while I don't personally share an abortion story, I could sit across from her and share with her that I've experienced pain, deep pain. I've experienced some dark days in my life that I shared with her. It was in those dark moments that I found a Savior. A friend that sticks closer than a brother or a sister. And just as he has been with me in my dark moments, that he could be there for her. And she began to cry and she she said, I want to know Jesus like that. And that day, she not only chose life for her child, but she literally slipped out of the chair onto her knees on her own. And surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. For us, if, if we're not sharing Jesus, we're missing it. Because he is the transformative work. He is the thing that ultimately changes hearts and saves lives. And if you are sitting here in this room, we even sang the song, I'm a sinner. But he is a savior. That is all of our stories. And so I just want to sing this song over you, but it's a reminder for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, while we see certain things, the ugliness of sin and shame in our lives, this is a song of a reminder of what he sees, our God, what he sees.
get an amen in this place. That is our story. That's right. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we are all created in your image and that we are to cherish and to choose life. Lord, let us put aside our thoughts, our feelings, what culture is saying, and let us, Lord, embrace what you say on this matter and all matters, quite frankly, God. Lord, continue to sanctify us and make us more into the image of your Son. We love you, Jesus. Amen.